I want us to spend the next two weeks talking about prayer and specifically about big prayer. And, and I want us to do this because we have a big God who answers big prayer. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you're not sure about particularly this whole prayer thing, some of the things we're going to talk about may seem a little strange, a little weird. And you may even wonder, does God really do this? Does God really pay attention to the stuff that's going on in our lives and in this world? And I want to show you from the passage that was read, not only does God hear big prayer, he actually responds. Things happen when we're courageous enough to pray boldly. Now, let me tell you how most of us pray. This is an assumption on my part, but I think it's true. Most of us, when it comes to prayer, we pray in our little circle, in our little bubble. We pray about the things that are, that are kind of really on our heart. Lord, you know, somebody I love is sick, please heal them. Lord, I messed up again, please forgive me. Lord, I'm in financial trouble, please let me win the, win the lottery. You know, this is the way most of us pray, right? And sometimes, sometimes we even lift our prayers up to another level and we actually pray and we say, God, uh, we, we want you to bless our church, we want you to do something good here. But I'm talking about prayer that's bigger than even that. There's nothing wrong with praying for people that you love, nothing wrong to pray for miracles, nothing wrong with praying, I don't know about winning the lottery, but if you do, remember to tithe. So, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. But are we praying big enough? When you say, well, what is a big prayer? Don't you remember that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, now, what is that prayer about? Jesus is saying that when you come to God, you actually come with this attitude of surrender, and you say, God, we want your will to be done. God, we want your kingdom to come. In other words, we want what is going to happen on earth to mirror what is already happening in heaven. Jesus' followers need to pray a big prayer which says, we want our world to be as much like heaven as possible. And we're going to pray that direction. How often do you pray that? How often do you pray and say, God, we want our world, this world we live in, to look as much like heaven as possible? And, and of course, this begs us to have to ask the really uncomfortable question, how much does our world look like heaven? I see some of you smiling and a couple of you laughing because we all know the answer to that, right? There's some work to do. If we're to take this prayer of Jesus seriously, to say, God, we want this, this world to look like heaven, whew, we got to pray bigger. So let's learn from this historical account. This was written by Luke who writes that he carefully investigated these things. And let's learn how to pray big and bold. A little background. Uh, John and Peter are going to the temple. They're going to pray. And as they go to the temple, they see a beggar there. He has been begging for who knows how long. He's been crippled since he was born. And he's always asking people for money. So he asks Peter and John for some money. And in one of the great lines in all of the Bible, in the third chapter of Acts, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Isn't that a great line? 
I mean, just to say, I don't have any money. I got something better. I got Jesus. And just a little aside, we all know that having Jesus is more important than having money. Some of you are not convinced. You do realize there's going to come a time in your life where money's not going to buy you what you need. And so that's what Peter offers this man. He reaches down, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and this man who's been crippled since birth begins to walk. And then we're told not only does he walk, he leaps. And he praises God. Because after all, if you've been crippled since birth, wouldn't you want to go from walking to leaping and then praising God? Your life just changed. You're not a beggar anymore. And this draws a crowd. And Peter sees a crowd in the temple, and this is always a cue for him to preach a sermon. And so he begins to preach to him, and he says, look, you guys, just a few months earlier, you killed Jesus. He rose from the dead. We didn't do this. Jesus did. And so even though you think that Jesus is no longer on the scene, his power is still at work. Well, this big crowd alerts the temple guards. They all rush. They arrest Peter and John, keep them in jail overnight, overnight, and then they put them before the Sanhedrin. And when they're before the Sanhedrin, remember, this is the same group that condemned Jesus to die. They say, what, what are you doing? And, and Peter, who, who again, just months earlier, had said, I don't know who Jesus is, never heard of the man. Now looks at these guys and said, look, we're here because a miracle was done in the name of Jesus. By the way, you killed him. It's your fault, but he rose from the dead, and that's what we're up to. That's pretty gutsy, don't you think? That's pretty bold. And the Sanhedrin was disturbed. We're actually told this great phrase that they could see these were not learned men. They had never been trained as rabbis. They'd never been trained as the religious elite. These guys are just working class guys, normal people like you and me. And they're speaking boldly for Jesus. And they don't know what to do with them. So when powerful people don't know what to do with people who are causing them trouble, what do they do? They threaten them. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. They threaten them and say, don't you talk about Jesus anymore. And then, again, this is a great comeback. Peter and John say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Now, this is sort of a duh question, right? Judge for yourself. Should we obey you or should we obey God? Now, these are the religious elite, and so they have to answer God. Okay, so we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we heard. We are just telling what we have already experienced. Now, what do you do when you threaten people and they are not intimidated by your threats? Well, they threatened them some more and charged them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And so they release Peter and John. They go back to this group of followers of Jesus. Now, remember, at this time, Three, four months into this whole Christian movement, there's only about three, 4,000 believers in the city of Jerusalem. And they can't all meet at once. So this is just part of the church. But this was a part of the church that was gathered and was praying. And they got there and they told them the story and the church fell on their knees and they said, oh God! 
God, what's going to happen to us? The same people that killed Jesus are going to kill us. Lord, protect us. Protect Peter and John. God, save us, save us, save us. Well, if they were Baptists, that was how they would pray, right? They didn't pray that way at all. They had this incredible different attitude. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, I want you to see two things in that one verse. First thing I want you to see, they prayed together. They raised their voices together. This is not something we do well. Americans, we're so individualistic. We think we, gotta just, we get the part about going into our prayer closet, but the idea of coming together and with one voice praying, that's still so strange to us. This is why we need to learn from people who follow Jesus overseas. They're better at this than we are. George and Elizabeth um, Wood were American missionaries in China in the late 1940s. They had planted a church in China and then the communist revolution uh, occurred and they were forced to flee. And for 40 years, they never knew what happened to that little church they had planted. Didn't know. And they passed away never knowing what happened to that church. Their son, also named George, in the late 80s, went back to China found that little church that his parents had planted, found the pastor. They had left the church in charge of a, of a young man named Pastor Mung. The church had about 200 people when they left. And, and of course, George, being an American, figures he's going to go back into a communist country, and the church now is probably going to be down to 30, 40 old people who have just, you know, managed to fly under the government radar. And so he begins to talk to Pastor Mung about what these 40 years have been like. Pastor Mung had spent nine years in prison, nine years in prison for preaching the gospel. Can I pause? How many of you are willing to spend nine years in prison for Jesus? And for 18 years, they were not allowed to meet together as a church. They didn't have the, the privilege of coming together in a room like this and, and meeting and praying and singing and hearing God's word. And so George Jr. asked, you know, Pastor Mung, how, how are things? I mean, how many believers do you have now? And the reason, of course, George asked that is because he's an American and Americans always want to know what are the numbers, right? And Pastor Moon spoke to his wife, and she came, and she had this box. It was held together with yarn, and it was filled with paper, a box about that big. And, of course, all the paper was written in Chinese, and George didn't read Chinese. He said, what is this? He said, these are the names of all of the believers who have been baptized in these last 40 years. 1,509. And George was like, but you were in prison. You couldn't meet. How did you do this? And Pastor Mung looked at him and kind of laughed and said, well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And then he said, oh, and we prayed a lot. (laughs) 
That was in the late 80s. Pastor Monk passed away in 2006, and when he passed away, that church had 15,000 baptized believers. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? What will happen if a church comes together and prays a lot? I wonder what would happen in our church. We actually have a prayer group. Meets here, Loring Mill Campus, every Wednesday, 5 to 6. I know some of you say, well, I don't know if I can get there in time. Well, you don't have to go to jail. Just get off work a little early. Tell your boss you're going to go speak to the creator of the universe and you'll be right back. And, and that's actually where they go, right? When they start praying, I want you to listen to how their prayer starts. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Now, why do they start their prayer like this? This is the second thing I wanted you to see in verse 24. They say, Sovereign Lord, that means master, the one in charge, the one who calls the shot. Yeah, you made heaven and earth. You made everything in this world. Why do we praise God in our prayers? It's like somebody asked me one time, says, do you think just we have to build up God's ego? No, 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 no. You praise God in prayer because it reminds you of what God is able to do. You see, if God can make the universe, if God can keep the universe spinning, if God can design all these amazing creatures, if God can create life in its incredibly diverse form, forms, how big is your problem? You see, see, when you praise God, your problems get right-sized. Now, remember, these people are praying this, and they're being persecuted. They've been threatened. And Jesus' followers should never be surprised when they're threatened. And that's just why they go to the next part of this prayer. They're actually quoting the Bible back to God. Again, not because God needs to be reminded, oh yeah, I did write that. It's because they want to remind themselves that this isn't anything new. Look, look at what it says. Um, and this is actually a quote of the first two verses of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Well, why are they praying these verses? Because they're remembering this isn't God's first time. It's not the first time that God's people have been persecuted. It's not the first time that some wee little person who thinks that they're all of that rises up against God and says, I'm the one in charge. And God just laughs. And if it happened back then, remember this is a thousand years before the time of Jesus, they're saying we shouldn't be surprised that it happens now. And we shouldn't be surprised 2,000 years past that, it's still happening. People don't like it when God's people take God seriously. And Jesus told us this. Don't you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, listen, care listen carefully. Jesus does not say, blessed are the persecuted, because there are some people who are persecuted because they are stupid, right? And it's, it's not just, okay, I'm being stupid and I'm being persecuted, so I must be really be doing the right thing. No, no. You're, when you are persecuted for doing the right thing, 
it means you're doing kingdom work. And, and you know this. Some of you have been encouraged to lie at work. And you say, no, I'm not going to lie. And you're going to lose a customer. And you are doing kingdom work. And some of you, some of you, you have been in situations where everybody else is gossiping and everybody else is attacking somebody and you're actually saying, you know, I'm just not comfortable with this conversation because I, I follow Jesus and he says we're supposed to love everybody. Just not comfortable with this. And your friends are going to look at you like you grew another head out of the top of your head. And guess what? You're doing kingdom work. And some of you, some of you, you, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be, you got money in the bank. You're going to be tempted to buy some stuff. And you're going to hear the Spirit speak to you and say, you don't really need that. Oh, Lord, yes, I do. iPhone 13 is out. My phone is only an iPhone 11. I'm due for an upgrade. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Let's spend some money on me. Let's invest in my kingdom. Oh, Lord, I, I just, oh. your kingdom doesn't take quite as sharp a picture. Sorry. Apple is coming for me now, I know. See, see, when we encounter resistance, it's time for big prayer. Now, I shared this with you a few moments ago, or a few months ago, but it's so impactful. I, I want to share it with you again. I was in this seminar in Oklahoma City, and Craig Rochelle was speaking Craig, who's pastor at Life Church uh, out there, huge church. And he said something very profound. He said, he believed that in the next 10 years, true followers of Jesus were going to be in for a very difficult time. And he said it was going to come from two directions. So it was going to come from the culture at large, which increasingly has become disconnected from Judeo-Christian teachings our, our larger culture does not value life the way we do. It does not have the same view of sexuality that we do. Our larger culture is really now not about taking care of the weak and the vulnerable. That's our larger culture, folks. And whenever we say this is what we believe and we begin to act on that belief, that larger culture is not going to like it and we're going to face increasing attacks. We do not live in a land that is favorable to the Christian faith anymore. Then Groeschel went on. He said, the other direction we're going to be attacked, true followers of Jesus, is from people who claim to be Christians. But all they can do is remember the old days. And they're going to want everything to go back to the old days. And they're going to fight for the old days. And they're going to put this bubble around them and try to pretend like that nasty outside world doesn't exist. And they don't want to engage it. They just want the church to be like they remembered it being and not really try to reach anybody in that messed up world for Jesus Christ. And they're going to attack anybody who does. And my friends, I want to tell you that's real. I, I, I almost would encourage you to follow some people on Twitter who claim to be Jesus followers and just see how real it is, except I don't want you to have to touch that pollution with your soul. So we're in for 10 rough years. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray big prayers. We're going to say, hey, we may get pressure from the right and pressure from the left, but we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to love our enemies. 
We're going to love Democrats and Republicans, gamecocks and tigers. We're going to pray for gators. Never mind. We got to pray big prayers. I don't want you to see where they go next. It's real interesting. In verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. But now don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, why, why are they saying this? Remember, this is just a few months ago. They had seen what Pontius Pilate had done. They had seen what Herod had done. They had heard the crowd cry, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. We forget God is smarter than Satan. God is not one step ahead of Satan. He's miles ahead of him. And don't you know that whole time, even though God's heart was breaking, seeing what his son went through, don't you know that whole time God is saying, this is going exactly according to plan. You know, Satan is over there going, "Ah, I finally got him where I want him. I've got him on a cross. He's going to die. And God's going, according to plan, according to plan, according to plan. Which means the most important thing you can do is understand and align with God's plan. That's what it means to pray a big prayer. Not my will be done, your will be done. Big prayer means understanding and aligning with God's big plan. That means God's big timing. Sometimes we pray for miracles here on earth, but I'll never forget what a friend of mine once said, heaven is the place of ultimate miracles. That's when every prayer you've ever prayed gets answered in heaven. I'll just tell you a little bit about how I've experienced this. I I have pastored four churches. I prayed for every one of those churches to grow while I was the pastor. Three of them did. The first one did not. Now they were 25 of the bravest people God ever put on the face of the earth. I was 22, I was single. And they called me as their pastor. And I went out, I knocked on doors. I told people about Jesus. I even cleaned the dead rat out of the baptistry. I I wanted to see people saved. I wanted our church to grow. And at, at the end of my time of being pastor of that church, we started with 25, we ended with 25. I thought, God, why? Why? Why did, why did, Why? Well, the next guy to serve as pastor actually was a friend of mine, a guy named Marcus. Marcus was 22 and was single. See, that church had figured out, hire a young single guy, it's cheaper. Now, Marcus, still my friend, and Marcus, if you're watching this, no insult, Marcus is shorter than me. He kind of has an nasal voice. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a squirt. Right? I'm a lot better looking than Marcus. Marcus goes in, starts pastoring the church, and in five years that he's pastor, the church triples in size. And I'm so happy. And I was talking to Marcus about this during the time he was pastor, and I said, you know, Marcus, just good job. I tried to act like I meant it. And, and Marcus said, 
Marcus said, look, Clay, you planted, I watered, God gave the increase. And I'm thinking, why didn't God give the increase on my watch? Why didn't it happen while I was there? Why didn't I get credit? Do you guys ever pray prayers like this? You know what God's plan was? I was supposed to hoe up the ground, plant the seed. Marcus was supposed to come in and fertilize and water, and it was all according to God's plan. Sometimes God's plan means you get to be the guy who goes in front. Sometimes it means you get to be the guy who comes along after the groundwork is laid. Now, I can tell you what God's big plan is. It's real easy. We put it on our mission statement. God's big plan is to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus Christ. Well, because we believe everybody's life is better with Jesus. Everybody's life is better with Jesus. And that's why we want to help as many people as possible take that next step. That's the great commission. We want to help them follow Jesus. So this is what they have done. Now, hear about this. They, they have said, God, we know you're in charge. We know you're able to do all these things. And God, we know this doesn't surprise you. This is not the first time you've seen your people persecuted. And God, we know you have a plan and you're working things according to your plan. So we're going to make the big ask. And the big ask is this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is not what we expect. We expected them to pray for safety but they prayed for boldness. You pray for, when's the last time you prayed for boldness? When was the last time you prayed for boldness in your faith? Uh, about six years ago, I got, I got this uneasiness in my heart. I noticed every time we sent out a mission group, uh, when we sent them to New York City or Haiti or Honduras or Botswana, anytime we sent out a mission group, we always prayed for them to be safe. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying for somebody to be safe. But I, it dawned on me, we, we, we stopped too soon. We should pray for them to be dangerous. Dangerous. That when they were on these mission trips, they were representing Jesus Christ. And they were to go into sometimes hostile environments. And they were to be dangerous for Jesus. And so we started praying for our mission teams, even for our campus launch teams, to be dangerous for Jesus. And then I'm preparing this message this week, and it dawned on me, I don't think I've ever prayed for our church to be dangerous. How could I miss this? Now, let's be clear about what it means to be a dangerous church. It does not mean that when people see our stickers in the back of the window with a little compass in Alice Drive Baptist Church, that they go, oh, that's an Alice Drive car. He's dangerous. Let me get off the road. That's not what we mean. What, what do we mean? That we're not afraid. That we trust God's plan. We trust God's power. And when God calls us to go forward, we go forward. And it may not be all the way that we think everything ought to be, but we're trusting God's at work somehow. He can correct our mistakes. Because I believe God needs churches to be dangerous in communities so that heaven can come to earth. See, big prayers are bold prayers. Now, this is the second part of their big ask. 
verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What are, what are they really praying for? They're not just praying for God to do miracles. They are praying for God to send power. God, will you send power? Will you show up? Will you let people see what you're doing and have people say, only God could do that? I want us to be that kind of church. Where people look at us and say, only God could do what, what they're doing. You know, Ron Lewis, a friend of mine who passed away and he was a consultant when we made the move here. He used to say, most churches are scared to death of the Holy Spirit's power because they will lose control. That's true. And here's reality. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about business or church, you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. You can't have both. I, I, sometimes I do side gigs where I'm a consultant for churches. And... Um, I'll go and I'll talk to them about the future of their church and what they want for the future of their church. And sometimes they'll say, well, we want to grow. We just don't want to grow too fast. Okay, you can have growth or control, but you can't have both. If you start saying, we're going to try to control the growth, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. I mean, isn't that, isn't, that a, isn't that really a dumb prayer? Isn't that a dumb request? It's like, God, how about you send all the growth you want to send and then equip us to handle it. Now, let me tell you why most churches don't want to do that. Because if they get growth and it's out of control, then that means they're going to have to park farther away, they're going to have to wait in line in the bathroom, and somebody's going to ask them to serve and get out of their comfort zone, and that's why most churches don't want to grow. I want us to be a church that say, God, we'll take as much as you want to send. God, my, my friend Ron used to also say that he thought that in every town, God was looking for one church to say that. God, we will send, we will take all of the Spirit's power, all of the growth, all of the people you want to bring to us. I want us to be that church. Not because we want to be the big church, but because people need to know Jesus. As many people as possible. And if God wants to keep us small, that's fine. If God wants to make us big, that's fine. We just want to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus. I want you to look at what happens next. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You hear that? The place where they were was shaken. Okay, I'm going to do a cheesy James Bond joke. I didn't do it in the other services. This is why she'd come to 11 o'clock. James Bond, famous line. Shaken, not stirred. I've heard people pray, Lord, stir us with the Holy Spirit. No, pray James Bond prayers. Shake us, Lord. All right, cheesy joke over. Now, we don't know if that was shaken because of an earthquake. We don't know if that was shaken because the Holy Spirit was just vibrating. But we do know that they were filled with the Spirit. And you go, wait a minute. They were filled with the Spirit back at the second chapter of Acts. This is a few months. Now they need to be filled with the Spirit again. They need to be refreshed. Yes. Dwight Moody, the famous evangelist in the 1800s, was once asked, 
If he'd been filled with the Spirit, he said, yes, I have been filled with the Spirit, but I leak. And that's why you every day should pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me. Give me some fresh Spirit, Lord. As much as I can handle, you pour out on me. And then they went out and they spoke boldly. I, I wish I knew what that was like. I wish, I wish here Luke would have filled in the, the lines a little bit. Does it mean that they went out and, and they, they beat people down with the gospel? I don't think so. I just think it meant as they went every day in life, when they acted different, when they told the truth, when they were honest in business, people would say, why are you doing this? And they would say, because Jesus changed my life. Jesus saved my marriage. Jesus changed the way I parent. Jesus changed the way I think about money. Jesus is the most important one in my life. Are you ready to go out and speak with boldness? Now, this scares some of you. It scares me. But that's what it means to pray a big prayer. A big prayer is to come before our Heavenly Father and say, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As much, Father, of your heavenly kingdom that we can bring to earth, that's what we want to do. That's our mission. This is surrender. This is saying God's agenda is first. So I want you to pray that prayer with me. We're going to put it back up. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Will you say it with me? Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all sound like a bunch of Episcopalians. <laughs> now, if you're Episcopalian watching this, no offense, okay? We, we need, let, let's put some more energy in this. I want you to cheer like a Carolina fan whose team is winning. Now, the reason I'm picking Carolina fans is because Clemson fans, it's been, you've been too nervous lately, right? And Florida fans, we've got to go to counseling this week. That's just all there is to it, right? So, so I want you to put some passion in this. Let's try this again. Ready? Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let's try this again. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One more time. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.